You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. My guest today is James Nestor, author of this book, Breath. I have the new UK paperback version with me. A beautiful cover. Um, little endorsement from our good friend, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee on the front as well. Uh, James, welcome to the Freedom Pack podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. So the first place I'd like to start. So on this podcast, we're not necessarily 100% health episodes. There's a bit of health in there. There's a bit of wealth. There's a bit of wisdom. So for those that are brand new to this subject that know nothing about this new breath phenomenon research that you know you've been undertaking could you give a sort of elevator pitch as to why anybody should care about this conversation this book your work and the way they breathe so breathing seems like the most simple most mundane most boring thing right and it certainly seemed that way to me until I started talking to researchers and I learned that the human face and the human mouth and the human nose has changed in such a way that the vast majority of us are unable to breathe properly. And if you don't believe me, just look at the number of people who have asthma or COPD or chronic sinusitis or allergies, and you find that this is exactly the case. So my mission as a journalist was to find out why this would happen, why evolution would create a species that was such a poor breather, and then figure out ways of fixing it. And that's what I spent several years doing. So for everyone listening now, what are, is there a figure, what are the chances that someone listening to this may be breathing wrong their entire life? Do we have a percentage? Do we have a, a figure? The round figure is about 90% of wow. people are breathing inadequately. And some people are breathing much more inadequately than others. If you look at people who constantly rely on inhalers or oral steroids and more, but most of us are breathing improperly. And this was a stunning fact when I first heard it, I didn't believe it until I went very deeply into this research and found out that that's entirely true. So if you were to, you know, watch someone breathe and you could tell whether they were a, a nose breather or a mouth breather, but if you couldn't watch them physically, are there any biomarkers that you'd be able to pick up on just from looking at, and you know, identify someone as a mouth breather? Well, you would, if you're looking at breathing health, you would look at metabolic function. You would look at cavities, periodontal disease, uh, dentist more than a hundred years ago, were saying that, that, the reason why so many people were getting cavities wasn't so much from sugar. It was from constant mouth breathing, which messes up the pH in your mouth and makes it a breeding ground for bacteria. And those bacteria can cause problems in your mouth and in your teeth. So I think that you would look at a number of things. Are you out of breath when you're working out? How long can you hold your breath? If you can hold your breath for about five to 10 seconds without having to take another breath, you are breathing dysfunctionally. So there's a whole laundry list of different things that you can look at. Mm -hmm. So 
just having a look at the um, cover of the book, it says the new science of a lost art. So the words lost art suggest to me that it's been, you know, it's been lost along the way. So if we look back over our sort of evolution, is this something that's been a bad habit we've picked up or is this something that's existed throughout our evolution as a species? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the answer is yes and yes. So uh, for the first part of that, is it a bad habit? So not only have we changed our anatomy over the past few hundred years, which is a blink of the eye in terms of evolution, but we've also changed our habits. So we live in an industrialized society now, whereas our ancestors were walking around all day long. They were chewing for four hours a day. They were foraging for food. You and I and everyone else we know probably is sitting in front of a computer on Zoom all day long. And when you do that, you can notice how you're sitting. Even if you wanted to breathe properly, it's going to be very difficult to do that. Add in pollution, which inflames the airways. Add in very tight-fitting clothes, which really came to a fore in the Victorian era. Corsets and tight vests. And you've got this perfect recipe for respiratory disaster, which is exactly what we're reeling from right now. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm causing some, some false alarms and sensationalist claims, but all you have to do is look at the data. And for many people, all you have to do is look around your family and your friends. How many of them snore? How many have sleep apnea? How many have allergies? How many have asthma? on and on. And you can see that it's the majority of the population. Mm. When I first heard about your book, it sort of, I sort of drew parallels in the sense with Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, because, you know, breathing, sleeping, they just seem like things that we, you know, automatically should know how to do. They're very simple things. Everyone knows you need to sleep. Everyone knows you need to breathe. But why is it taking someone like, you know, a Matthew Walker or someone like yourself to really sit down and, and, and write a, a, you know, a very passionate book on the subject to make people sort of wake up to, to this idea that they may have been doing it wrong their entire life? Well, if you look at any animal in the wild, horses don't need breath retraining, right? They don't need sleep retraining. Neither do lions, neither do dolphins, neither do whales, neither do the 5,400 different mammals on the planet right now. Our ancestors didn't need this either. But then again, our ancestors didn't need supplements. They didn't need vitamin C and vitamin D and vitamin K2, and they didn't need this pill and this powder just to get by because nature provided that. When we're in a natural environment, our bodies are going to evolve to be uh, in line and adaptable to that environment. We've changed our environment so drastically. By environment, I mean not only the places where we live and work, but the foods we are eating, our lifestyles, that our bodies have adapted in these very strange ways that are having a deleterious effect on our health. So it seems ridiculous that anything, any animal would need to relearn how to breathe, but it also seems ridiculous to me that we would relearn, need to relearn how to eat, which is exactly what's happened. You know, how much, how many books are there on proper diet? Eat this, don't eat that, uh, eat this supplement, you need this vitamin, you, you need this mineral. Uh, it's just outrageous, but we need to follow that advice because 
we are not in an environment in which nature can supply us with all of these nutrients. So we've removed ourselves, And the further we remove ourselves from nature, the sicker we're becoming. And this is very clear, again, when you follow the data. So you and the work of uh, another former guest of this show, Patrick McKeown, are some of the front runners really pushing this information into the mainstream. But if all the findings, if all the research, the claims are to be believed in these, you know, in, in these findings and research, why do you think that we don't really see this message and this knowledge being pushed in the in the mainstream? I feel like, you know, this is something we should probably be taught from a young age or be taught about on the news or on educational programs, but you never really seem to see it on TV or, or any of these media. Yeah, you're exactly right. And this was a question that I just kept asking myself over and over and over. I said, here's the science and there are decades of science. Here are the studies. Here are the researchers. And these people are working at the top institutions in the world. Why have I not heard of any of this before? And I think it goes back to, again, uh, a good analogy would be food. So we've known for a hundred years that eating processed food, processed flour, sugar, processed corn, we've known this is very bad for our health, right? We've known it. And yet, what did we do for a hundred years? <laughs> we kept eating this stuff until in the US, 40% of the population is obese, 60%, 70% actually, closer to 70% is overweight. Um, we're so sick. So I, I don't believe that scientific findings equal change in society. That happens over a long amount of time. And with breathing, what's so great about it is you can measure it. And nowadays we can measure it with instruments that we just have around the house. A pulse oximeter 20 years ago would have been $10,000. Now it's $20 down, down at your local Walgreens. So you can see these changes occur when you breathe differently, just like you can see changes occur when you eat differently. You can look at your blood glucose, you can look at your LDL and more. So I, I don't have a great example as to why we don't know about it. Uh, what one thing that I kept hearing from researchers and doctors is, and these are their words, not mine, they said, well, there's no way to make money off of it. Breathing's free. It's simple. It's accessible to everyone. So there isn't a huge incentive to codify that and commercialize it, even though it absolutely makes a huge impact on your health and well-being. So you mentioned when you know you first come, came across this research, but you actually took it a step further and you know started to to test it out for yourself and, and see the effects of, you know, the mouth breathing versus the nose breathing. Where was the big wake up? Was there a eureka moment for you where you thought, wow, this stuff I was reading is real? Well, I knew it was real because it was coming out of Stanford. It was coming out of Harvard. It was coming out of Yale. It was coming out of Oxford. It was coming out of Karolinska Institute. These are the top research institutions in the world. And I talk with researchers at all of these institutions. So I knew it was real, but it's one thing to understand something to be factually correct, and it's another to experience it personally. So I was able to work with the chief of rhinology research at Stanford, Dr. Jayakar Nayak. 
this guy's at the top of his field, big nose guy. He's a rhinologist. And we were able to conduct an experiment in which we plugged our noses for 10 days and just breathed from our mouths. And then we just breathed from our noses as often as we could. And we collected data three times a day, and blood work and all kinds of data just to see if it would make any difference. Because as a rhinologist, Jayakar Nayak knew that the nose is the primary pathway through which we should breathe air. There are so many benefits to nasal breathing and so much damage that can be caused by mouth breathing. And so I was able to experience that personally. I didn't want to be the person in this experiment, but there were no other human experiments done in this. There had been monkey experiments, which were awful, um, but, but no other human experiments. So I, I volunteered to be a, a human monkey and, and try this out. So let's get into some of it then. You mentioned that mouth breathing literally changes the physical body and transforms airways all for the worse is one of the quotes I picked up from the book. Exactly how then, if you could explain this to the people that are brand new to this subject, exactly how is mouth breathing detrimental to their health? So if you were to look at a cross section of a human skull, you would see this enormous sinus cavity. It's equivalent to if you took a racquetball and you put a, or a billiard ball, that's a better example. And you just took that ball and imagine just shoving that inside of your head. The equivalent volume is in your sinus cavities. And in these sinus cavities are hairs, our tissues, our membranes, our different structures that filter air every time you breathe it through the nose heats it up, it moistens it, it pressurizes it so that that air is conditioned as it enters the body. And there's no controversy about this. Um, you know, you look at any other animal in the wild and they're breathing through their noses all the time. Even when they're running, look at a horse sprinting, look at a cheetah sprinting, they're breathing through their noses. So there's no controversy, and yet 25 to 50% of the human population habitually breathes through the mouth. And when you breathe through the mouth, you don't have any of those structures doing anything. <gasps> That's what it's like breathing through the mouth. So when you breathe through the mouth, you are exposing your lungs to everything in the environment without a filter. That's going to aggravate the lungs. It's going to cause you to breathe too much. It's going to stress you out. It's going to exacerbate asthma attacks and panic attacks and more. And again, not controversial stuff, but how many of us have heard of this outside of rhinology circles? Uh, not many. And am I right in thinking that, you know, mouth breathing can literally change the structure of our face? You are absolutely right. So what happens, especially when we're young, if you breathe with an open mouth all the time, throughout the night, throughout the day, your skeleture and your musculature will start developing to that form, that open mouth form. It's so common that researchers have a name for it. They call it adenoid face. So adenoids are these different structures that play a role in immune function at the back of the mouth. And when they become inflamed, which happens quite often with kids, they uh, kids have to breathe through their mouths. They can't breathe through their noses. Same thing with kids with allergies, with constantly stuffy noses. They have to become mouth breathers. 
And you can see this happen throughout a kid's development. They've even looked at kids who suddenly had an onset of allergies and how their faces change. So again, not a lot of controversy about this. We've known this for, for decades and decades, even going back more, more than a century. And yet you still see kids walking around with their mouths hanging open all the time. And no one knows this is bad. I was one of these kids, okay? This is what I did growing up. I was told it was perfectly fine to breathe out of your mouth. I wish I had known otherwise. So can you then describe the journey of air and what happens with it as you breathe through the nose? Sure. So when you're taking air in through the nose, it's collected from anywhere from a couple of feet out to a few inches out, depending on how vigorous you're inhaling. And that air is brought through these turbinates. And as it goes through these turbinates, it passes through mucous membranes and different structures. It looks like a labyrinth. Uh, it's very beautiful. It's, it's actually, it was called the, called the nasal concha after the conch shell uh, because it looks just like a shell. That's what happens in our noses. So this air is funneled through this labyrinth and then it is deposited into our throats and then it follows down into the lungs and these tubes get smaller and smaller and smaller until they end within these little bulbs called alveoli. And these alveoli um, it, that's where the gas exchange happens. So that's where oxygen will actually slip through the, a membrane barrier into the bloodstream. So we breathe this way to about 20,000 times a day. Okay. And this is the primary way we take the energy from the air, which is oxygen, and we deliver it into our bodies, into our bloodstreams, and into our hungry cells. And our hungry cells then can use that oxygen to make ATP or energy, the currency of energy in our bodies. So breathing, we get so much more energy from air than we do from food. A lot of people are thinking you, your primary source of energy is food and drink. That's not true. And I can prove that to you. Why don't you hold your breath for four minutes and see what happens to your brain and body? <laughs> it will start to shut, it will start to shut down. So we need this constant supply of energy entering into our bodies. And if we are doing anything dysfunctionally 20,000 times a day, even if it's slightly off, it's gonna wear us down, which is exactly what's happened to so much of the population. Hmm. Have there been any sort of studies or any research done on the correlation between like nose breathing and athletic performance? Is there anything on that? Absolutely, and Patrick McEwen is really the leader in this field but he's not the first, okay? These studies go back to the 1950s where they used to train runners to breathe through their nose. They would have them take a big mouthful of water and run around the track and deposit the same amount of water in a cup just to train them to nasal breathe. When you start looking at scientific studies about 30, 40 years ago, Dr. John Duyard started conducting studies with cyclists and found that when they were able to nasal breathe, they were so much more efficient. They could breathe at a slower rate, their heart rates would be lower, and yet they could be uh, performing at the same level, having the same energy output. So if you talk about athletic performance, what you want is efficiency. Why do you want to burn energy you don't need to burn? And breathing is such a huge part of this. 
And it's, it's interesting that athletes haven't been too tuned into this, but now they certainly are. You, you know, see that from Brian McKenzie's work, from Patrick McEwen's work, from Laird Hamilton's work. The very first thing they have their athletes do is they train them to breathe. So as far as the science, uh, Patrick McEwen has in, in his research, dozens and dozens and dozens of studies on this, where it not only enhances and improves athletic performance, but it improves recovery times as well. In the book, there was something that stood out to me. You said 30 breaths a day can reduce blood pressure more than diet, drugs, or exercise can. Is, that, is it really third, just 30 conscious breaths? So that is not in my book because that scientific study just came out about a week and a half ago. Maybe I, I just picked put it up that from on, a podcast. On, on social media. There yeah. you go, yeah. But, but that's, that's exactly right. And again, if you don't believe me, and, and maybe you shouldn't, right? I'm not a researcher. I'm just a journalist. Go look it up online and, and look at the science. So this is inspiratory muscle strength therapy. And what this is, is it's controlling your breath with a lot of resistance as you breathe in. We have 11 pounds of respiratory muscles, right? And you look at athletes and people work out in gyms and they're working out their wrist muscle and they're working out their pecs and they're working out their biceps, but they're not working out the primary muscles that deliver energy to their bodies. So that's what this does, this inspiratory muscle strength training therapy. And what's so interesting about that study is this is not new. It just so happened to be some researchers put out a new study, and now the entire world's talking about it. This research goes back decades. The work of Dr. Allison McConnell, a London physiologist, has been studying the same training with the athletes and found that they were having performance gains of, of 15 to 30% retraining their respiratory muscles. So, and that work was, was done decades and decades ago. So it's interesting that all it takes is some new news flash for people to get interested in, in this stuff. But this is what I kept finding in the book. I'm like, here it is again, <laughs> you know, the same old story, people just doubling down and reproving the stuff we've known for so long. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's thinking about it. That is where I picked it up. I think it was from your Instagram page over the last few days. Um, and that's what I love about your work. It's full of, you know, practical, actionable advice. That's something that everyone could make a conscious effort to start right away. Um, on that subject, then, should we try, if possible, and breathe exclusively through the nose? Or is there any scope for mouth breathing at all? Great question. And I'm glad you asked it. So one thing that I will be making even more clear in the new editions of the book, I tried, I thought I had made it perfectly clear in this book is there's a time and a place for everything. When I'm talking about nasal breathing, this should be your primary route through which you take in and exhale rare air primary. That means throughout night, you should be nasal breathing, no mouth breathing, zero. But during the day, we're going to laugh ha ha ha, we're going to sigh. Some yoga practices have you. All of this is perfectly fine because you're doing just a few mouth breaths, even at states in which you're entering into the upper states of zone four, zone five training, you're lifting weights, you're about to dunk a basketball on someone's head. Who cares if you're breathing through your nose or mouth, right? 
That is perfectly fine as long as you go back to nasal breathing. So mouth breathing can actually be used as a tool at the very top levels of stress, of physical stress to default to mouth breathing, couple of breaths, reset your respiratory system, go back to nasal breathing. How many of us are up at that level of physical fitness? Very few. And those people are on a whole different track. But the vast majority of breaths, all of your breaths during rest, right, should be through the nose. And so I, I hope that that's clear. Uh, right now, I'm taking a few breaths through my mouth. Who cares? That's perfectly fine. Because when I hang up here, I'm going to go back to nasal breathing for the rest of the day. Yeah, I was thinking as as you as we've been recording over the last 25 minutes, I've been really conscious of breathing through my nose, just in case you picked up on some mouth breathing. So I'm glad you said that. Um, in terms of you know your 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 primary you know your um, your common breathing, what you do day to day for the majority of the day, are we talking fast and shallow? Are we talking slow and deep? Is there a you know is there a detail on how deep and how fast that breath should be? Yeah, and here's where it gets even more complicated. At least it got complicated for me because I would talk to one group of breathing therapists and they would say, only slow and light breaths. Those are the only breaths you should be taking. And then you talk to Wim Hof and his group and they say, you got to breathe, man. Everybody breathe. Take a huge breath of air. I'm like, who the hell is right here? And it turns out they're both right. It depends on the situation. So these slow, low, light breaths, this is how you should be breathing throughout the day at rest when you're in front of a computer, when you're walking around. But again, there's a time and a place for everything. These heavy, sympathetic breaths, these <sighs> that really stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, these work absolute wonders for people. But that breathing is done in a very controlled amount of time, okay? It's like going to the gym for your respiratory system. You wouldn't be at the gym for 24 hours a day. That would be idiotic. You'd wear your body down. But to do this in very short bursts can really help build you up. So the short answer here is that when you're not doing breathing exercises, these vigorous breathing exercises, you should be breathing through your nose your breathing should be almost imperceptible. You don't want to see someone else breathing. You see these people who learn this breathing, these breathing habits, and then they're say, yeah, man, I feel great. This really works. No, the whole point of this is to do it extremely calmly, extremely subtly. This is how you get the most oxygen, the most efficiently into your body through these slow, low, and light breaths. That heavy breathing can be done on occasion for short amounts of time to help build your body up and bolster your immune function. One of the hot topics in the in the podcast space, in the in the health space, I see a lot, and they're some of the most popular episodes we've had are these longevity experts and you know the science behind longevity. I haven't heard too much on you know, a correlation between breathing habits and longevity. Is there a, any strong correlation? There's a very strong correlation. You can start from the yogis, uh, BKS Iyengar. He was this kid who was very sickly and 
developed yoga techniques and got better at yoga and lived this long and illustrious life, became a famous yoga teacher. He said, the yogi's life is not determined by his years, but by his breaths. Wow. So that's a little abstract, right? And so you want to go into the science and the 70 year long longitudinal study looking at heart health called the Framingham study found that the number one marker of lifespan wasn't genetics, okay? It wasn't exercise. It was the size of your lungs and the health of your lungs. The quicker your lungs got small and sickly, the quicker you will die. The longer your lungs stay big and healthy, the longer you will live. That's according to the data, right? And they've even done studies in which they've looked at people who had lung transplants and people who were transplanted, lucky enough to get larger lungs, lived way longer than those who were transplanted smaller lungs. So lung size and lung health plays such an important role in longevity. And it's interesting to see that this just isn't talked about that much. And another interesting thing is that as we grow older, we lose lung capacity. These muscles and these bones start wasting away and it makes it harder for us to breathe. If we're struggling to get energy into our bodies 20,000 times a day and we're old, right? How is that going to affect our health? It's going to be a disaster for our health. So this is one of the reasons why yoga and why exercise, why stretching is so important as you age, because it allows these bones, it allows these muscles to be flexible and for that lung size to not reverse and get smaller. So again, that was a very long explanation. The short answer is, I could have just said, yes, there is a direct correlation between lifespan and breathing. It's interesting you talk about um just lung capacity and lung health. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of these O2 trainers. Um, I, I've seen a big, so the concept, I think I first saw it on a, on quite an old episode of the Joe Rogan experience. And this product was essentially, you'd put on a nose clip, which is quite weird now that we're talking about breathing through the nose. And you'd put this sort of device in your mouth and you could start off with a big hole and shrink the hole down to a small hole. And so you'd block any breathing through the nose, but you'd be breathing, training yourself to breathe through a smaller and smaller hole through the mouth. And it was somehow supposed to increase lung capacity. Have you come across anything like that? Because that sounds quite counterintuitive to what we've been talking about. Yeah, again, this is like going to the gym. So you're not going to wear this device 24 hours a yeah. day, right? You're going to wear it for a few minutes. That inspiratory muscle training, strength training we were just talking about, that involves inserting a device into your mouth for five minutes a day and there's resistance as you breathe yeah. in. So it's the exact same concept as what you were talking about. Different gizmos developed at different times, named different names same by different people, but it's all doing the same thing. So what yogis do, because they didn't have plastics or O2 trainers or other devices, they would create that resistance in their own throats or with mm. their lips. Pursed breath breathing on the exhale or on the inhale, constraining the back of the throat to do an unjai breath, which sounds like this. Mm. 
They've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. And it would be very interesting to see someone do a study with people just using their own natural bodies um, to elicit these same things because I, it would have the same effects because you're inhibiting the airflow in and out of your bodies for a certain amount of time. It was called yoga for thousands of years and now it's coined all these crazy names. So to be clear, these devices work. They're fantastic. You can buy them on Amazon, they're cheap. People should use them. And uh, I'm not gonna endorse one over the other, but I also find it fascinating that we are imbued with all of these different structures on our body and we can elicit a lot of these same changes just by harnessing our own breath. Mm. So we've talked a lot. I think everyone listening now know, understands why they need to be more conscious of their breath. But what would you say to people listening right now who are saying, James, I, I find it really difficult to breathe through my nose when I'm trying to be conscious of it. I feel like I can't catch a satisfying breath. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I'd say join the club. because That, <laughs> that is... Uh, I won't call it the vast majority of the population, but I would say it's a large amount. How many people have chronic rhinitis? What, 20% sinusitis, 17%? You know, those are rough numbers, but it's a huge amount of the population. How many people get a stuffy nose during allergy season? More than 50, I think. So it, I can't offer a blanket prescription, okay? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a breathing therapist, but... You can look at a few things. Some people are so messed up in their noses. They have such a deviated septum. They've broken their nose a zillion times that surgery can really help, okay? And surgery can be absolutely transformative for people. I've talked with a lot of ear, nose, and throat surgeons. They agree. These people can, can really, uh, it would be hard for them to ever breathe well because they're so messed up. In my estimation, from talking with so many of these people and some real leaders in the field, that's a very smaller percent of the population that needs surgery. What a lot of us need to do is to start training ourselves to breathe through our noses, okay? This is a use it or lose it organ. So the more you're breathing through the mouth, the more you will be breathing through the mouth. I learned this down at Stanford from the doctor of speech language pathology who was all uh, slated for surgery. She was, she was a mouth breather. She could not breathe through her nose. And then she started looking at x-rays of different people through different times. And she found that whenever people would get a laryngectomy or a tracheostomy, which is a hole drilled in their throat, their noses would entirely plug up because they were no longer using their noses. So she found that just by retraining herself to breathe through her nose, her nose completely opened up after a couple of weeks. So when I had a CAT scan done of, of my own head, I am more messed up than most of the population. I broke my nose three times, deviated septum, all that. The person looking at it said, you are a perfect candidate for surgery. <laughs> so, so I was in that camp, uh, but I opted to try to see what I could do with my breathing, with my nose. And I've been breathing better than I ever have in my whole life now. I haven't had a stuffy nose for a year and a half since I had a cold. 
And I don't want to use myself just as an example. I want to look at the science here. So what I would tell listeners to do is first try to become an obligate nasal breather. You can use different gizmos to help open your nose a little better. Try different exercises that Patrick McEwen has for free on YouTube, nose opening exercises. Some sprays can help on occasion, um, but try that for a few months and see what your natural body can do. And if after a few months you're like, you know what, this is still not working, then go see a very responsible ENT to go see what your other options are. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when my co-host Joe interviewed Patrick McKeown on the show um, that week, he just suddenly started trying everything. He had the tape across his nose. Yep. He, he taped his mouth shut with some sort of special tape when he was sleeping. He tried all the sprays. He was, he was trying everything. So, But for the listeners today, something actionable they can take away, where would you suggest that they they get their first start is, is it those 30 conscious breaths is it maybe going to try and find one of those free breathing exercises where do you suggest that the you know those who are brand new make their first little start and not get overwhelmed here's what i do i it starts with awareness hmm. so become aware of your breathing become aware of your breathing while you're working set a little timer that goes off every 10 minutes just gives you a little ding that says, how am I breathing right now? Am I breathing out of my nose? Am I breathing out of my mouth? When you are walking, become aware of your breathing. When you're working out, become aware of your breathing. That is the most important thing is awareness. After that, you can start using these different hacks and these different tricks. About 60 to 70% of the population breathes through an open mouth at night. So it's easy to become aware of our breathing during the day. It's very hard at night when you're unconscious, right? Something that worked for me that has worked for so many thousands of people is to use a little piece of tape and to place that on your mouth at night. Seems crazy, right? This is not a hostage situation. It's a teeny piece of tape that all you have to do is, and it comes right off. So it's not inhibiting your mouth shut or, or forcing it shut. It just comes right off. It's a reminder to keep your mouth shut. Try this tape in the day before you use it at night. Try it while you're answering boring emails. Put it on your mouth and then make that transition tonight. It's going to suck. It's going to be so uncomfortable. You're going to absolutely hate it. Okay. Guaranteed. Give it a week and you're going to think, hmm, it's not so bad now. After a couple of weeks, what I've heard from so many people in my own experience was you don't even notice it. And I've been using this stuff for two and a half, three years. I have trouble sleeping without it now because <laughs> my, my sleep has improved so dramatically. Rangan Chatterjee's, his wife said the exact same thing. I'm hearing the same thing from hundreds of people. So you've got awareness, you've got tape. After that, you can go to nasal dilators to help you when you're working out. There are plugs that fit inside of your nose that open up your nostrils, that increase the airflow. These are great training wheels. There are also strips, breathe right strips that go on top of the nose that pull the nose up. You can see some footballers wearing these. You can see other sports people wearing these. I prefer the inserts because I don't want to rip this this thing off my nose and put it back on. That's just me. I'm not endorsing any product here. And after that, you know, that process will maybe take a month to really get acclimated to that. And then you can work into inspiratory muscle 
training, and then you can work into these other more complex breathwork procedures. But I would start with those things. Uh, it will cost you a couple bucks to buy some of these gizmos. Otherwise, this is basically free. And the worst thing that can happen from it is that you're going to be breathing better. Okay. There, there's no negative side effects. Your friends might may mock you, but they're mocking you for other reasons as well. So there you go. Just a couple, three questions left. So the first one, um, you've written this, this book, you've been on thousands of podcasts. I've seen you appear everywhere talking about this stuff. It's clear you're very passionate about this subject. I'm not sure what other projects you may or may not have going on, but is this your, is this your mission now to get this information out there? Uh, it has been for this past year, you know, I haven't been able to travel because of the pandemic. So yeah, I've just been doing podcasts day in and day out. The, the good news is, is this research, just like all science, isn't a closed book, right? Um, I did as much research, found as much modern research as I could, but I'm using Instagram and other channels to be like, look, there's more stuff going on. So I'm as excited about it now as I've ever been because I'm seeing how it's transforming people's lives. And that's that's thrilling to me. I mean, that to me is, is really the highest compliment. So uh, yes, I'm very uh, steeped in the breath world, but I'm also very excited to get started in with some other projects. You, you know, it's interesting being a writer. You, you live alone in a little box. I built a shed in my backyard for four years, you only talk to people you're interviewing, you live in this bubble, and then you have to switch gears and become the, the presenter, as opposed to the interviewer. And uh, I miss asking the questions. Uh, so I'm starting in on, on a couple of big projects right now, which I'm very excited about. Amazing. I look forward to those. We have two questions left. We ask every guest, so it's non-specific to the topic. Um, the first one, We've talked a lot about your book, Breath, today is going to impact or already has impacted so many people's lives. But what books have you read in your life that have had a massive impact on you? I think Why We Sleep, I was lucky enough just two weeks ago to be with Matthew Walker at a conference and interviewed him on stage. And what an amazing guy. But when I read that book, and this was after I already started Breath, uh, a friend recommended it. I thought, I don't need to relearn how to sleep. And, <laughs> and here's someone that, you know, from, uh, he's a scientist, he's a researcher who was just like, we're doing this so wrong. So that, that book is very inspiring to me. And the work by Daniel Lieberman, he's a Harvard anthropologist. His latest book is Exercise, which I found just to be fantastic. And he's the one that I really learned so much from as far as why we are so sick, right? Uh, so many of us have so many problems, we think it's just normal, but this is all caused by us moving away from a natural environment into an industrial environment. So his work's been very influential on me as well. Amazing, some good recommendations there. The last question I have for you, this could be anything, it could be from your, your writing, it could be your family, it could be your friends, it could be whatever, but for James Nestor right now, what makes a life worth living? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, there's too many things, really. Uh, I, I think the, the thought of traveling again. Uh, I love my house. I, I love uh, San Francisco, but 
I need to hit the road. Uh, I love meeting people too and, and learning new things. So I think curiosity makes a life worth living. Love that. So I've got the paperback version, the new paperback version in the UK breath. Do you let everyone know where they can find the book, first of all, and more from yourself on your social media websites. Let them know where they can find you. Uh, the books available from, from my understanding have been out there, but you know, wherever books are sold uh, right now in the UK. Uh, on social media, I'm trying to get better at this stuff. Uh, I'm old, so it's hard. But uh, on Instagram, I'm just posting things um, tied to the science of not just breathing, but the science of other subjects I'm interested in. No, no pictures of my dessert or, or puppy dogs. So that's at Mr. James Nestor. That's my handle. I'm much less active on Facebook because I hate it. Uh, you can also find all of the scientific references to what we've been talking about and to the book on my website for free. They're available for everyone. If you don't believe what I'm saying here, you can, you can watch the experts explain it to you because I have interviews with professors at Harvard and other leading experts explaining so much of what we've been talking about. That's at mrjamesnester.com. Amazing. I'll leave all those links in the show notes below. James, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and thank you for bringing in so much value to our audience. Thanks a lot for having me. Hey, great, uh, great questions, by the way. I do do a lot of these. Uh, I imagine. And, uh, and you actually did the homework, which makes all the difference. So I really appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for joining me again on the Freedom Pack podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you'll join us again on Friday. Until then, please come and check us out on YouTube where all these podcasts are uploaded in video format as well as our best bits. Subscribing to our channel on YouTube is the best way that you can help support the show. So we'd really appreciate that. So that is youtube.com forward slash Freedom Pact. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening.